Judge. I'm reading from Judges 3, 1 to 11. This has a lot of fancy names in it. I hope I pronounce them properly. Judges 3, 1 to 11. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal, Hermon, to Lebo Hamath, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rehatham, king of Aram Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. So when they cried out to the Lord, he raised them up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rehatham, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. I wasn't quite sure what to do for the summertime. Um, I was thinking Nehemiah. Joanne thought we should do Judges. So here we are in Judges. And uh, Judges are stories of how God delivers his people. And uh, I, I, think you, I think you'll enjoy them uh, over this summertime. Um, I, I've called it the Judges. Judges when God's people abandon him and uh, what happens and uh, let me just go through these some of these slides that I've got here. If you go to the next slide, um, there are six major judges in the book, six major leaders. And uh, when I say major, it means they have a story. And uh, there are also six minor judges, and they have a verse. So uh, six major ones and six minor ones. And uh, it takes you from the time, from the death of Joshua to the time of Samuel, or the first king, Saul. So Moses and the Israelites enter the land of Canaan around 1400. And from 1400 until Saul, 1050, you have the days of the judges. So for 350 years. Now, this is... 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago, 350 years does not seem like a long period of time. How old is our country? Okay, it sounds like you don't know. Somebody said 151. Have we so quickly forgotten that last year was 150? Our country's not that old, right? Our country's not that old. Uh, we haven't been here that long, um, and so we're, we're talking 350 years. It is, it's a chunk of time. And uh, so these are stories from that time period. Um, these are kind of the ancestors of, 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 uh, of Israel. Um, I was supposed to tell you this story last week. 
for Father's Day. My father was here. And uh, two, two stories about my ancestors. And uh, this came up because uh, Donald Trump uh, was slapping tariffs on our steel. And the reason why he was slapping tariffs on our steel was because for national security. And uh, Canada is a national security risk for the United States. And Prime Minister Trudeau, on the phone with him, said, there's no way Canada is a national security threat for the United States. And President Trump said, well, yes, you burned the White House in 18, the War of 1812. And uh, that's what he said. And, uh, of course, those were not Canadians that burned the White House. Those were British troops that burned the White House. My ancestor, I had an ancestor that fought in the War of 1812. He had come over, Mr. McLean, and he was part of the original Baldoon settlement down in Wallaceburg. And in the War of 1812, he joined the militia, and he lost his life fighting against the invading Americans who had come up to take Canada. Now, that's, that's the brave part of the story. The sad part of the story is that my ancestor did not die in a battle. He fell through the ice of the Thames River. I wish he had died in a battle, but it was while he was with the militia, so at least he got, uh, his widow got benefits from the government. And uh, we have those letters. Uh, the mayor wrote a letter saying she's still alive. She's not married. She deserves widow benefits. And his commanding officer sent a letter in saying, yes, she's a widow. He did fight, and uh, she deserves widow benefits. So that was one of my ancestors. Now, I had another ancestor in the War of 1812 on the American side, and his name was Francis Scott Key. And uh, he was on a ship while the British were bombarding the Americans. And he was watching this, and while he watched it, he wrote a poem called The Star-Spangled Banner. And it is now the uh, national anthem of the United States. So uh, two ancestors in the war, one on the Canadian side, one on the American side. And I guess that's all I can say. No claims to fame. Okay, back to our story. <laughs> so here, here are the major judges. You notice Othniel is the first one, 13, 1374 to 1334. And uh, when I was a kid, I learned all of the judges in order and the way I, way I learned the first one was, what do you have the first thing for breakfast in the morning? Oatmeal. So Othniel is the first judge. All right? You'll never forget it. Othniel's the first judge. Notice 1374 to 1334. So they come into the land at 1400, and all of a sudden they need a leader because they have problems. Ehud is the second judge. 1316 to 1236, that is the peace that comes after Ehud. Deborah and Barak, third, 1216 to 1176. Gideon, 1169 to 1129, that is the peace that he brings. Jephthah, it's 1089, where am I, 1089 to 1083, and then Samson, 1083 to 1063. Those are the six major judges. Let's go to the next slide. These are related times. So those of you who are trying to put your Bible together, the book of Ruth, takes place in the time period of the book of Judges. So as you're reading about the Judges, that is Ruth. That's Boaz, Naomi, all of those stories. It's the same time period. As you read 
1 Samuel. The beginning part of Samuel is the days of the judges. In fact, Samuel and Samson are about the same age. So as you read the story of Samson, Samuel's about the same age as he is, and he's serving as a priest and as a prophet. Um, Saul is a boy when Samson is fighting the Philistines. So these stories kind of touch other parts of the Bible, just to give you an idea of how they fit together. Go to the next slide. This is a cycle that's repeated in the Judges, and in all six of those Judges that we just looked at, you have this cycle. Number one, the Israelites do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And sometimes the evil's defined, sometimes it isn't. But God has given them a plan for their life in the Bible, and it doesn't take very long before they're not following the plan. In fact, the book of Judges tells us that as long as Joshua's alive and everyone of that generation, they follow the Lord. And as soon as that generation is gone, the next generation does not follow the Lord, right? The church is always one generation away from being gone. So the one generation, they faithfully follow the Lord. The next generation, no, they follow somebody else. So they do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Second part of the cycle, the Lord gives them over to oppression. People come in and steal their goods, or they actually have somebody who defeats them in battle and takes tribute from them. That's the second part. So they do evil. God sends oppressors. Thirdly, they cry out to the Lord, right? If all else fails, pray. Unfortunately, that's too often what we do. If all else fails, I guess I better pray. It's gotten that bad. Uh, The oppression leads them back to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord, and the Lord sends them a deliverer, a judge, or a leader. And then the land has peace. Um, This is not on a slide. These are other preliminary things. Uh, bear with me. Bear with me. We'll get to the Bible. Uh, preliminary thoughts. Number one, Judges is like the Wild West. So as you read this, you're going to read stuff that is bizarre and it's wicked. It's wickedness. And you're going, why is that wickedness in the Bible? It's the Wild West. There's no law. The only law is what you pack it on the side. That's the only law. Everyone does what's right in his own eyes. That's what it says in the end of the book. Point number two. So part of what you learn from the book of Judges is what the world would be like without central government. Because if you don't have central government, the government goes down to tribal lines. So then the, the government of Judah is what's in charge. And what happens if you're from Benjamin and you're in the tribe of Judah? Guess what? It's bad for you. And then you'll see in the book of Judges that government sinks even lower than that. It sinks below tribal lines, and it even goes down to cities. And that's even worse. Then if you're not from part of that city, and you're a visitor, and you're a traveler, and you stay in that city overnight, you might be in trouble. That happens in the book of Judges. And then it gets even lower than that in the very end of the book, you find out that everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And it gets down to the individual. And what is right is what each individual thinks is right, which is complete chaos and mayhem. And you see that in the book. And so I I, I write down, I go, first of all, be thankful for good government. Be thankful for good government and central government. Sometimes we are. 
We love to curse government. Be thankful for good government. Secondly, be thankful for people who live according to God's law. You see, you can't compel people to live according to God's law. You never could. Even Israel couldn't compel it. Unless you as a person voluntarily commit to obey God, nobody can make you. Be thankful for that. Uh, Preliminary idea number three. The twelve tribes do not act as a unified whole in the whole book of Judges. There's no time when all twelve tribes get together and say we need to take care of this. And yet the book always talks about the children of Israel. They don't act like they're unified, but the writer of the book, as he looks back at the people who have descended from Israel, say they are a unified whole. Number four, in the book of Judges, we see that God's way of helping people is by using people. When God helps people, he uses and calls other peoples to solve their problem. And so it's about 13 judges, 13 leaders that God calls and uses to help his people. Point number five, Judges shows that God empowers his tools by the Spirit of God. We'll see that with Othiel. Point number six, Judges shows us that God's people are fickle. One generation is faithful, and then it's got to be one all over again. And finally, the stories in Judges get progressively worse, and the Judges get progressively worse. Um, If you go back a slide there, Lynn, back one more. As you go through the book, worse and worse things happen through the book till you get to the end. And as you go through the judges, it seems like the judges are just one step worse all the way through. So Othniel seems like he's the perfect guy. Nothing wrong with him. And then along comes Ehud, and I I was hoping we would get to that story today, but we won't. Along comes Ehud, and he just deceives everybody and delivers God's people through deception. And then along comes Barak, and Barak, he doesn't want to help, only unless Deborah will go. And so God has to use Deborah, and he has to use another woman, Jael, to, to defeat the other king, because Barak uh, is not up to the task. And then by the time you get to Gideon, Gideon's even worse. Because Gideon, not only is he reluctant and a fraidy cat, scaredy cat, uh, what happens when he has 70 children, which means he has too many wives, and he lives, he lives off the people. Jephthah gets even worse as he sacrifices his daughter. And then Samson, I don't even have to tell you about Samson, he's the worst of the lot. It gets progressively worse. And you're going, and you and you got to think to yourself, what is the theology behind this? What is the Bible trying to tell me? Uh, well, first of all, it's trying to tell you human beings are not very good. This was a book that I got a long time ago. I heard this person speak when I was in seminary in Dallas. I really enjoyed him, and he was actually a pastor in Calgary for a long time. Gary Enrich, and he wrote a book on this book of Judges. He called it hearts of iron, feet of clay. And when he means feet of clay is they're human beings and they're very fleshly. They're not perfect. Uh, Another preacher, when he preaches on the book of Judges, he calls it treasures in jars of clay. Jars of clay, easily broken, not that valuable, um, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. 
The other part, I think what Judges is trying to tell you is we do need a leader who is after God's own heart. And along comes David, King David, and everyone thinks this is it. This is the leader until David starts to live his life. And then, then, then you realize he's not the solution either. That's why God had to send his own son, Jesus Christ, because no human being fits the bill. And uh, I have been disappointed in my life following our political leaders because it seems like they just stay in long enough for us all to go, man, we want to get rid of them. Anything would be better than them because they last just long enough for us to see their imperfections and their foibles and the problems with the way they do business or the way they treat people. And we go, man, let's get somebody else. And then we, you know, around comes the next person and... That's no better, right? We've still got a person with problems. That's why we need Jesus Christ. That's why you need the gospel. Because as long as you hope in a human being, you're going to be let down and you're going to, and you're going to be disappointed. Jesus Christ is the only one who has come, has lived the perfect life. And notice, he did not grasp power. And he did not grasp possessions. He let them go. And instead... He embraced suffering and servant, servanthood, and he has called us to follow him. Finally, prelimin- this is preliminary. The book of Judges is about people standing up and saying, I want to be involved, and I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to do something. And too often in the book of Judges, people wait back, they don't step up, And God has to use the next best tool. That's why he uses Jephthah. Nobody else will do it. They say, whoever leads us in battle will be our leader. Nobody stepped up. So Jephthah goes, I guess I've got to do it. Um, You see that with Othniel. Okay, let's get to the Bible. If you look with me in your bulletin, Judges chapter 3. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. So I, I think that's God's original plan. Uh, I'm going to leave, I'm gonna leave uh, problem areas for the Israelites, and these problem areas will mean they will have to be on their toes, and they will have to continue to learn how to fight throughout their history. Otherwise, they'll just be sitting ducks. And so notice he leaves the five rulers of the Philistines, which are on the west coast of Israel, the Gaza Strip, that's uh, Philistine territory. Modern-day Gaza Strip is named after a Philistine city, Gaza. Um, All the Canaanites, the Sidonians, that's in modern-day Lebanon, the the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath, They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands. Here's a second reason why he leaves them. A test. Will you follow me and will you obey me? The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage, gave their own daughters to their sons, and served their gods. They failed the test. So Othniel, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. And so now we're in the first part of the cycle. 
The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. God is looking at them and he sees that they, they are not obeying him. Notice they forgot the Lord their God. How do you forget? How do you forget? Well, number one, you don't talk about the stories. You don't remind people about what God has done. You don't offer your sacrifices at the tabernacle. You don't celebrate the feast days. There's no celebration of Passover, no celebration of the Feast of Weeks, no celebration of the Day of Atonement. All of those things are gone. Why? Because the people around them aren't doing it. Why travel 50 miles to worship God? That takes a couple days, a couple days to get back. Why do that? When right next to me, a couple of kilometers away, there is a pagan temple, pagan people worshiping their God and having a great time. I'm just going to go there. And that's what they do. And they serve Baal and Asherah. Baal is the male God. Asherah is the female God. And it's probably some type of fertility cult. And uh, for some of them, that means the gods have sex. That's what the people do. And the Israelites get involved in that. And by the way, it's not just an isolated incident. We find out when God calls Gideon, Gideon's own house has an Asherah pole. And his dad is kind of like the senior person who looks after it. There are times, I think, in our lives we forget the Lord. And we forget to pass it on to our children. We forget to talk about him. Forget to celebrate the things that he's done. Jesus made sure that we never forgot. And so he gave us the Lord's table. We celebrate that monthly so that we never forget that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Because if you forget that, you're lost. Notice verse 8, second part of the cycle. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharaim. Aram is Syria. And if you think of the language Aramaic, Aramaic is spoken by Syrians. It's the land of Aram. Naharaim means two rivers. And so this is Syria by the Tigris and the Euphrates. So uh, Syria, it's the northeast part of Syria. And they were subject to him for eight years. I wrote down in my book, I wrote down in my notes, I said, thank God for political problems and thank God for hard times. Uh, by the way, they're coming for our country too. Um, I'm just waiting for there to be a massive debt collapse. And it will come, and it will probably come in my lifetime. If you're over 80, you might escape it. Thanks for leaving us your problem. There will come a point at which our governments will no longer be able to borrow money. And uh, they will either have to default on their debt, or they will simply print money and so make our, make our money worthless and uh, cause a collapse of our, of our economy, much like, uh, much like Venezuela today. Disaster. It's coming for us, and it's coming because of our greed. We are living in the best of times. People have never made so much money so easily, and yet even though we make good money so easily, we still run deficits. Can you figure that out? We've never had so much. We've never paid so much taxes and yet we can't even come close to paying what we're, what, 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 what we're spending as a government. It's, 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 it's inconceivable, really. I think God's get, he's setting us up for a fall. If you're going to be greedy people, and if you're going to live for yourselves, I'm going to bring it about so that you will collapse, and it will be a mess. 
and then we will have to look for countries that we can flee to, that have good economies. And that's exactly what God does to his people. If you're going to worship other gods, guess what? Here comes the disaster. Um, I also wrote this down. I didn't, li- I didn't want to write this down, but I wrote down that God gets angry with his people first. Because there's a principle in the Bible that judgment begins with the people of God. Have you heard that before? Judgment begins with the people of God? That's true. And if you're a believer and you believe in God and you run away from him, it's going to be worse for you before it's going to be worse for somebody else. And so sometimes as you look around and you're, and you're a half-hearted Christian and you look around and you go, how come I'm the half-hearted Christian and I'm getting hammered? And the guy that doesn't believe in God at all, he's prospering. Well, because you deserve to be hammered. Judgment begins with the people of God. I hope he hammers you. And the purpose is not to destroy you. The purpose is so you come back to him. He's trying to save you. So that takes us to verse 9. When they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. What do they have to do? Cry out to the Lord. Notice, they don't, they don't even have to fix everything yet because that's, that's, that's how gracious our God is. You don't have to go down and cut down all of the idols first before He helps you. You cry out to Him and you're still in process of turning it around and He helps you. I love that. Um, this is not the first time we meet Othniel in this book. In Judges chapter 1, as Judah is taking the territory that they have been allotted the southern part of Israel. And as they're taking them, uh, they come across a town. And Caleb, the leader of the tribe, says, whoever takes this town can have my daughter as his wife. Aksa, his daughter, his wife. This is a great opportunity. Who wants this woman for his wife? Othniel says, I do. And he takes the town. That's called volunteering. But volunteering for a reason. Anybody could have done it. Othniel's the one that did it. He's the one that stepped up to the plate and says, I'm going to do it. I want her for my wife. And the first thing she does is she goes and asks her dad and says, Dad, we need those water rights to that spring. And he says, okay, you can have it. So they're well off. And so I ask this question, what does it take to be used by God? Answer, you have to be willing. You have to be willing. And one of the repeated issues in the book is the willingness to get involved, to say, it is my problem. I am going to do something. I'm going to serve. Uh, the second thing you have to do is you have to have the Spirit of God. God gives you that. Notice verse 10. The Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went out to war. And the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. The Spirit of the Lord came on him. God gives us his spirit for the task. When I was in Israel, um, in front of their parliament, in Jerusalem, there is a statue of menorah. And uh, it was given by the British parliament to uh, the Israeli parliament. And on the statue of the menorah is this scripture passage. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, 
says the Lord Almighty. And the British Parliament was saying to them, if you're going to succeed as a nation, and if you're going to win as a nation, it's not going to be because you're strong. It's going to be because of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God working in you. And so, so the message I want you to take today from Othniel is, number one, let's be willing, willing to, to, uh, to serve God, willing to help, willing to be involved, and not say, it's not my problem. And secondly, he's going to give us the Spirit of God for the task. Let's rely on the Spirit. We can do it in our own, in our own strength. Yes, we can. It won't be very good. And it won't be spiritually effective, but we can do it. But when we rely on the Spirit, we will win the spiritual battle. On Wednesday night, we were talking about what it means, what it means to rely on the, the strength of God. And I gave this illustration from my life. When I was a teenager, I was uh, too afraid to speak in public. So I never did it. And uh, when it was my turn in English class to get up and read an assignment in class, I just told the teacher, I'll take a zero. <laughs> teacher didn't like that. I was willing to take a zero. It didn't matter to me. Uh, and so when I thought, should I be a pastor? Should I get in front of people? I go, no, I'm not going to do that. I can't do it. I'm too afraid to get in front of people. I don't like being in front of people. I can't do that. But you know something? With God's help, I could. With God's help, I could. Not on my own, but with God's help, you can do it. The Spirit of God will enable you to serve Him and will help you. And He does that for all of these fragile, broken human beings that you read about in the book of Judges. Not perfect people at all, but when the Spirit of God is there, they accomplish great things for God and for His people. And you can too. You can too.